Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast, where we dive into the heart of what makes the property market tick. I'm May Claire Bolton Smith, your host and curious observer of all things related to property, from affordable housing to market trends and the impacts of natural disasters to climate change. I want to converse about it all. Climate change. That last one is something we've discussed quite frequently on this podcast. So we're going to dive in with a little bit of a different perspective today. The changing climate is influencing change far and wide. Nature is requiring our government to alter its policies, and that affects us all. President Biden has responded to the threat of a changing climate by issuing an executive order on climate-related financial risk. However, in the U.S., lawmakers do not just haphazardly enact legislation. Instead, they lean on the U.S. federal agencies to step in and offer a wide range of policy recommendations that support both the environment as well as the bottom line of this country. The balance can be a tenuous one. In the property industry alone, there are consumer regulators, housing regulators, federally backed mortgage lending programs, market regulators, and prudential regulators, just to name some high-level players. To explore how climate-focused policies can affect the federal budget and what that means for those working in the property industry, we're joined once again by CoreLogic's Public Policy and Industry Relations Executive, Pete Carroll. Pete, welcome back to Core Conversations. Hi, May Claire. I'm really happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Okay, I think this is your fifth time on the podcast. You are our most featured guest officially. So, but it's been a while since you've been here. So, before we dive into our discussion, can you just remind our listeners a little bit about who you are, your role here at CoreLogic, and anything fun you want to tell us about yourself? I would love to. So, um, my um, title at CoreLogic is Executive of Public Policy and Industry Relations. Um, which means I do a bunch of things at the company, but some of my major responsibilities include um, uh, I lead our government relations team, which is you know leading uh, a team that uh, focuses on public policy, legislative developments uh, happening in Washington, D.C. and at the state and local level, um, and how those uh, policy activities um, may affect CoreLogic or our clients. Um, and I also maintain all of our relationships with our uh, um, industry trade association partners, consumer advocacy partners, uh, think tanks, academic institutions, and other policymakers in Washington, D.C., uh, with whom we engage regularly on these policy matters. In addition, I also um, lead certain ESG initiatives for the company. Uh, one in particular I've been leading uh, that our CEO, Pat Dodd, refers to as data science for good. Okay, I'm going to jump in quickly here and just define that acronym. ESG means environmental, social, and corporate governance, correct? Yeah. In fact, um, in a past podcast, make clear, I described an innovative partnership that we've developed with the Mortgage Bankers Association in partnership with the state housing finance agencies of Tennessee and Ohio, where we've built out a grassroots coalition of affordable homeownership stakeholders. Um, with the goal of using evidence-based research and design principles to help speed up the master planning process for local nonprofit home builders who are trying to build single-family entry-level homes, so affordable right. entry-level single-family homes for low-to-moderate-income families and, moderate income, and low-to-moderate-income communities. Um, and then finally, um, among other things, I ran related to this discussion today, I lead outreach efforts in Washington, D.C., with the federal regulatory community um, to offer them insights into the state of the art of models, data, and other analytics uh, that can help them gauge climate-related financial risks uh, in response to the executive order from President Biden that you referenced earlier. Yeah, and that exactly is why we want to talk with you today, Pete. So today we're going to specifically focus on Executive Order 14030. So 
Can you give us a little background on exactly what that is, a synopsis of the climate-related policy declaration that we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. So, you know, the Biden administration clearly feels that climate risk is a growing threat to the financial stability of the economy, including our housing markets, okay. which, of course, triggered the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. Um, and the Biden administration views um, the intensifying impacts of climate change as presenting what they refer to as physical risks to assets, publicly traded securities, private investments and companies. Um, that's a term that's worth pausing on. Physical risk is a term for how current and evolving changes to climate are affecting the risks of damages to real property and other infrastructure. Mm. And to the extent that that real property and infrastructure underlies financial instruments in the capital markets, there's obviously a knock-on consequence there. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, damages uh, to real property and infrastructure, if not adequately insured, can drive financial losses. And those losses can include economic capital reserves uh, for financial institutions. And so that's kind of the linkage between climate risk and how we can start to see, you know, the risk of impacts to financial stability in the economy. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad we can kind of make that tie to because I think for a lot of people they are like, I don't know how these two things could be related. So yeah, keep going. No, super. So so there's a big push in the executive order for the uh, what's called FSOC agency is the Financial Stability Oversight Committee that was created as part of the Dodd-Frank Act last decade. Okay. Um, so federal regulatory agencies, but it includes consumer regulators such as the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, mm -hmm. housing regulators such as Department of Housing and Urban Development and the Federal Housing Finance Agency that oversees Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac and the federal home loan bank system. Uh, the Prudential Regulatory Community, which includes the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, uh, the Treasury Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, um, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, um, and the National Credit Union Association. So those are the four uh, regulators that kind of from a prudential, you know, market stability, okay. you know, safety and soundness standpoint oversee banks. Um, the federally backed mortgage lending programs themselves, including um, the HUD programs, FHA, VA, USDA, and Ginnie Mae. Mm. Um, then, of course, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the federal home loan banks. Right. Yeah. Um, and market regulators, which includes Treasury and the Office of Financial Research, um, Security Exchange Commission, and um, CFTC, or the Commodities Futures um, Trading Commission. So a lot of, lot of uh, regulators composed, uh, composed FSOC who were responsible for responding to the Biden executive order uh, with a range of policy considerations. So I guess we've talked about these policy considerations. Have we seen any policy recommendations yet coming from federal agencies? And what does that mean for our industry? Yeah, so there's really two parts here. There's what I would describe as the policies that were articulated by the FSOC agencies and the FSOC response to the executive order. So the, the FSOC agencies got together and wrote a very thoughtful response to the executive order that outlined uh, a whole variety of, of policy uh, prescriptions that they are going that they in the paper indicate they're going to be pursuing. Um, and then there's the kind of current state of affairs with um, uh, kind of how far they've gotten with some of that work. Um, in terms of the kind of just kind of laying out the, the spectrum of policy prescriptions that were outlined in the FSOC response, um, you know, I, I would say you could think of it as a kind of spectrum or continuum mm -hmm. that spans across, you know, um, you know, uh, um, policy prescriptions that apply to consumers, homeowners, and municipalities, 
kind of moving towards commercial banks and independent mortgage lenders and servicers, and then moving towards investors or guarantors in mortgage-related or or other financial instruments that are implicated by real property and infrastructure. so, so those those policies include things that you would traditionally think of as they relate to credit risk management. So, kind of from the consumer homeowner standpoint, it includes homeowner risk assessments, so research that tries to ascertain what is the kind of risk of, of current and future climate change. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, current current natural hazard risk, future climate change yeah. on homeowners from you know a variety of standpoints. How it's disproportionately affecting low to moderate income communities how it's affecting the uh, potential home equity um, of, of, of all Americans. Um, and then, you know, moving through to disclosures that are targeted to the homeowner that helps the homeowner get their own heads around what the um, natural disaster or climate risk looks like, yeah. this physical risk yeah. looks like to the, to the homeowner who might be buying a home. Um, then through to what we would consider kind of the traditional, you know, credit risk disciplines. And that would include things like, you know, a bank or a a mortgage investor doing what we would describe as a climate audit, where they would try to look at their existing portfolio and identify, hey, here's how climate risk, both current climate risk and future climate risk could be affecting the value of our portfolio over time or our levels of economic capital over time. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that could be done through kind of a, a baseline assessment that could be done through a stress testing assessment. Um, and then there's just the practice, the kind of policies and procedures of how um, mortgage uh, lenders and investors go about underwriting and pricing mortgage loans or other related financial instruments and right. um, how they might factor, um, you know, this evolving, you know, climate related financial risk physical risk, um, uh, you know, environment into how they go about underwriting and pricing mortgage loans and ascertaining what the risk is to all of their counterparties. So, you know, if I'm a, for example, mortgage lender, I have a servicer who might be servicing my loans. I have an investor who might be purchasing my loans, a insurance company that's providing insurance on my loans. These are called counterparties, yeah, right? And so, yeah. you know, how is all this climate risk affecting all my my partners in the value chain, so to speak. Right. And then, of course, the last would be in, uh, the last would be uh, disclosures to investors. Right. So, right. you know, how is financial climate related financial risk posing material financial risks to end investors um, and regular companies and financial related companies, both from a carbon emission standpoint and from a you know a physical risk climate related financial risk standpoint. So, you know big wide spectrum yeah. in that response of, of potential activities. Well, it also shows that how everything is connected too in the industry, like across the property industry and all the different components that go into, you know, buying, finding, buying and selling and insuring your home and how all of this really is connected. And so it really hits all of the different facets of what we do at, at CoreLogic. So that that's what's really interesting about this. But I guess too, just because a policy is recommended, it doesn't mean it'll be pursued, right? Right? Like it just means it's a recommendation. So can we talk a little bit about of those recommendations, the ones that we think might pass and, and go to a proposal stage and head towards implementation? Or do we think they'll just stay as recommendations? This is exactly the type of um, topic we need to be focused on right now. We, we have a partner, uh, a wonderful partner called Ceres. They're one of the leading nonprofits focused on climate related financial risk, among many other climate issues. They maintain a really fabulous resource called the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. Okay. It's, it's a scorecard 
a kind of a scorecard of sorts that yeah. has kind of mapped out for all of these agencies that I rattled off um, and various elements of the FSOC response, kind of what the state of their of their action has been on the items in the FSOC response. Okay. And there has been action. So it's like, you know, it's important to give credit where credit is due. Okay. Um, you know, even even by the series, you know, I, so kind of taking that series scorecard and layering on some core logic specific knowledge. Yeah. Um, all of these um, agencies have um, affirmed climate as a systemic risk, which is a you know pretty important step. Um, most have appointed senior staff to focus on climate change and, and the financial risks um, therein. Yeah. the physical risk profiles that we've discussed. Um, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, the SEC, the uh, CFTC and Treasury have all produced um, research and data series on climate change and climate related financial risk, which is an important start. Um, and then there's been other bespoke initiatives that we've started to uh, see emerge. For example, the uh, Federal Housing Finance Agency, FHFA, has assessed climate risk on, on financially vulnerable communities. Yeah. Um, CFP, I know the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has started to do the same. Um, and the Security and Exchange Commission has issued a notice of proposed rulemaking that's in process um, that seeks to improve climate-related disclosures and also um, consider climate risk in their supervisory and regulatory processes. Um, so this is just kind of the start. And so right. what I would say is like, you see that there's like this emerging body of work that's beginning, but the theme that you can see that's running across all of them, which is prudent is that it begins with good empirical analysis, right? That's what's key. And, yeah. you know, and, and that's important. I mean, it's important yeah. to keep in mind that it's, it's one thing to assess the current state of natural hazard risk to real property infrastructure. Yeah. It's another to assess what future climate risk can do. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. I mean, yeah. th there's a very, very, there's a, there's a standards body that is, is internationally recognized called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the yeah. IPCC. Yeah. They've got the state of the art and science and what future carbon emissions, um, patterns may look like yeah. and how that could translate to climate change and that how and by extension how that could climate how that could translate to increasing frequency and severity of climate related events yeah and even the ipcc splits that those projections to what into what they call four representative concentration pathways or rpcs yeah that represent varying levels of severity and climate change resulting from varying levels of carbon emissions over time and so it's just to say that if you're a regulator and you're trying, you know, you're trying to figure out, okay, how does, well, you know, what is the current profile of, of um, physical risk, natural hazard risk look like um, to companies exposed to uninsured um, physical risks or, you know, to property and, and infrastructure? You know, that's one thing. It's another thing to think about what does that future risk look like, given that there are varying pathways that are hard to predict right at this point in time. I mean, the science is getting very good at saying if it's one of these pathways, you can rest assured this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. But if you're trying to assess, like if you're in the business of trying to assess how that could affect the value, you know, the kind of the, the level of economic capital at a bank. Right. That that's a tricky proposition. So sure. Yeah. There's so many unknowns. Yeah. Which is just to say it's very, very prudent for these uh, agencies to move very cautiously to do their homework. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing okay. a lot of work to aggregate the data. I mean, but for example, I, I mean, CoreLogic can, can say firsthand that every single one of these agencies has put out 
requests for information, yeah. both on kind of what, like you know, kind of soliciting public feedback on what is the state of the art yeah. with respect to climate models and data to assess financial climate related financial risk, yeah. as well as soliciting input on for their agencies, which of these policy prescriptions um, you know, have merit or what, you know, just what the public thinks about them in general. Right. And that's, that's, that's textbook. That's exactly the type of first, first step one would expect. And it's prudent yeah. and, um, and hopefully it's going to lead to some good things. Yeah. And you know, that actually leads a thought of, is there a timeline on this executive order of when all of this needs to be enacted or. So, you know, that's a good question. I, I I'm not, there was definitely a timeline on the response, which um, the FSOC mm-hmm. agencies responded. But in terms of the actual um, policy initiatives, I don't believe so. Okay. I, I have to presume, and this is just my opinion, precisely for the reasons I just rattled off, that it's because it's so tricky. Right. Um, you know, it's hard to put a hard deadline on that because you have to go through the prudent yeah. steps. So I think it's a, a little bit of a, you know, it, it, it's, a, you know, I think this is probably what you know the various offices in the white house mm-hmm. and treasury do is they they convene the fsoc agencies and they get a, you know kind of get a beat on what the status is of these efforts and they try to figure out you know what the progress looks like is my sense yeah um but you know what i would say is we've seen a lot of activity over the course of um this year in particular uh, probably going through the remainder of this year just in terms of procuring the right models and data that are needed to do the underlying evidence-based research mm-hmm. that you would mm-hmm. want to do before yep. moving forward with the policy initiative, yeah. you know, notice a proposed rulemaking or something to that effect. Sure. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. And okay. it's entirely, you know, so, so that's in terms of timeline, I would expect this year, you know, procuring the right um, uh, data models, analytics to do the research that needs to be done with a lot of that research getting done this year and into next year. Yeah. And then perhaps we could see somewhere that, you know, maybe Q2 or Q3 next year, um, some more uh, notice of proposed rulemakings come out akin to the one we saw from the SEC with uh, climate disclosures. Okay. And on that topic of kind of taking action for the future, just to finish off, I, I we, you know, know more or less kind of what's coming. What can professionals in the property industry do to prepare themselves for these changes that are coming? So, you know, there's so much that can be done. And in fact, we have, you know, we are working with so many mortgage servicers and investors and insurers who are already moving. So they're, they're mm-hmm. not waiting on the regulators to tell them what to do. They recognize, um, you know, natural, you know, current natural hazard risk at a minimum. So just, you know, based on even just based on kind of historical data, you know, just doing kind of a, a current baseline assessment of what the natural hazard risk looks like to their uh, to the properties underlying their mortgage uh, their their mortgage loans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not waiting; they're going ahead and assessing that risk today. Right, and yeah. we're seeing them do that in a variety of ways. And you know, one of the most common ways is uh, what we call concentration risk, which is Let's say I'm an investor and I own a large, like a large pool of either mortgage-backed securities or whole mortgage loans that sit on my portfolio or some combination. Chances are I have a number of mortgage servicing companies who are collecting payments on my behalf. Um, a very common project pattern we've seen is where these, you know, um, mortgage lenders or investors actually start to chart out. Um, they, they kind of take the full book of business across all of these servicers and they run. Um, our CoreLogic uh, natural hazard risk composite scores, where we are able yeah. to um, actually assign a risk score 
based on the top seven natural hazards, you know, um, everything flood driven, wildfire, convective storm, you name it. Um, you know, we're able to blend that into a single score, which we can then translate into a probability of damage yeah. and an associated probability of, of, of uninsured reconstruction costs. And that's very valuable because that helps them get a handle on, hey, you know, based on all, at the, because this is at the property level, based on all the properties that are in my book scattered across all these mortgage servicers, which mortgage servicers have um, a, you know, a, have a, a, a book of loans that they're servicing that have a lower risk of economic loss or, you know, or, or some level of, of, um, of damages sure, uh, yeah. resulting from a natural hazard vis-a-vis um, -vis the other. Right. And that's it. What that ends up giving them is this good dashboard of, hey, I've got some servicers that have a greater concentration of this risk than others. And that gives them the insight to be able to then rebalance that um, portfolio to maybe move some loans from one servicer to another so they can, you know, kind of, you know, smooth out that risk profile across their servicers. And that's just one example of how we're seeing the industry uh, right. respond yeah. to this emerging risk pattern. And, and it's um, it's interesting to see. Yeah. And, and such a great tie back to a recent episode that we did as well, too, with George Gallagher, where we talked, he talked a lot more about the composite risk scores and how that they were used. So great, great at tying everything together. <laughs> he is way better than I am at explaining that. So uh, <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely linked to that, that podcast for that insight. Yes. Well, the two of you together are a dynamic duo. So thrilled to have had you here again today, Pete. Thank you so much for joining me once again on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another core conversation.